0: The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. Amen. Amen. So if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we have just recently Uh, jumped into a story-by-story, kind of section-by-section look at the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. It is this beautiful story, this beautiful narrative of the beginning of the church right after the life of Jesus. Uh, We saw in the first part that Jesus came and he he said, uh, man, you're going to be a witness. Then we see this waiting period. And then in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, the waiting is over and something starts to happen. And so I'm going to jump into this text. I'm going to try the best I can to move, uh, move through this because I think there's just some really, really interesting things that we can glean and learn from God's word here. So let's dive in. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came... Quick pause. Sometimes today, and today, like 2,000 years later, we hear the word Day of Pentecost, we automatically associate it with what's about to happen. The Day of Pentecost would have been a Jewish holiday that would gather people from all over, like Jewish people from all over the world would gather to celebrate this holiday. So when it says the Day of Pentecost came, it means there were tons. The places where Jerusalem was packed with people, with travelers coming to worship and coming to celebrate this holiday. Anyway, so the day of Pentecost, Jewish holiday. When it came, they were all together in one place, the 120, the the followers of Jesus who were left. Suddenly, this this starts getting weird. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and then came to rest on each, on each of them. And then all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they began to speak in other tongues or in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Here's what's interesting. Jesus said, wait, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit and he'll baptize you in, with fire in some capacity like the baptism of John. They had no idea what to expect. And I can guarantee it it wasn't this. <laughs> So, okay, now you got to remember, they're all indoors somewhere, right? And if if something like this happened right here and now, like, people driving by in Superior would have no idea, right? One, because they're driving fast. Two, because there's no very small exterior windows. Nobody would know. And three, even if there were giant windows, uh, we like air conditioning so they wouldn't be open, right? This is not the setting, right? This would have been a place, believe it or not, pre-air conditioning, and And they're all gathered together and they're all praying. They're, 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 we, we found instantly or earlier, right? That they're praying constantly. So they gathered together. They're having this prayer. They're, they're gathered together for this celebration of Pentecost, uh, the remembering, the remembrance of God giving the law and they're gathered together and nobody, nobody paid any attention to a prayer service that was taking place or this gathering that was taking place until all of a sudden, like, they heard this noise, whether it was the wind, I don't know, whether they saw the fire or maybe it was just the people in there, whether everybody heard the wind or just the people in there. I don't know that, but they heard a noise. What was the noise that they heard that caught their attention? Everybody speaking a language that they'd never learned how to speak. That got their attention. Now, remember the context. This is, this is a day where people from all over the known world were gathering together. So people who spoke other languages, multiple languages, probably some of them, from all over the place. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's read the story. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under the heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, as one could imagine, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these people uh, who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? uh, Parthians, Medes. Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt, in the parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both the Jews converted to Judaism, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs. I, he's painting a picture here. They came from everywhere. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed. And perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Somehow, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Which, that's real common, right? (laughs) When you drink a little too much, you start speaking languages you never heard. Um, Whatever. All right. Uh, Verse 12. I think it's an interesting verse. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? 2,000 years later, we gather in a room and we read this bizarre story, amazed and perplexed, asking what does this mean? Right? Here's the deal. The answer is very, very simple. What does this mean? Peter answered it. I'm not going to pre-preach next week's message. But the very next thing, Peter gets up and he begins to explain what happens. And he, and he preaches and he, and he quotes from the prophet Joel. And he says, this is what is happening. This prophecy is being fulfilled that the Spirit of God is being released on all people, which is giving a testimony to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah he claimed to be. And now, instead of uh, Judaism and, and the people of God being this exclusive group, he blew the doors off of this thing. And now it says that everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved that is what it means, okay? And and most of us, regardless of even your perspective on on a lot of these things, most of us would say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But here's where it gets interesting. If if this was a one-and-done experience, then then we could handle that, right? Like, so God is at ushering in a new era, and so He He does this whole baptism of the Holy Spirit thing. People are filled with with the Holy Spirit, and and, and signs and wonders accompany it, and it's pretty miraculous. If it was just that thing, like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah I get that. It's kind of like the plagues. Like, He didn't always do that, but like, I see how He did it, and yep, God showed up and resurrection. Whoop, that that happened. Okay, so th- that's cool. The thing that that. That causes us to continue to ask questions is the fact that it happens multiple more times in a variety of different settings. In which case now we're going, okay, I don't just want to know what does the general 30,000 foot perspective mean on this? God's ushering the, no, no. I don't just want to know what did that mean for them then. It I, I kind of begs the question, what does it mean for me today? Is this spirit baptism thing? Is this was this something that happened for them at that time, or is this something that is for me too? So we are going to dive into um, this very thing, okay? Um, And 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 here's the deal: I realize that as a non-denominational church um and, and one that we don't make uh bring this to the, the forefront like on a regular basis that we probably have a variety of people from a variety of different perspectives on this which i think is fantastic um but here's the deal let me just say this like if if, if we all can navigate the differences on mass preferences together then then discussing the baptism of the holy spirit should be no big deal at all right like come on um, but in all seriousness, here, listen, uh, I have no desire, before we go any further, I'm going to talk a little bit about this whole baptism of the Holy Spirit thing. Because as we look at it now, I could dance around it, we could skirt around it, I could highlight other aspects of it, that'd be just fine, that'd be a lot easier. Um, but this is setting up the rest of the story. We have to kind of have a general, generally Decent understanding of what is happening that became the catalyst that exploded the church. This is commonly known as the, the birthplace of the church, Like right? This is where the 120 turned into 3,000 at the end of the day. Something happened, and we need to have at least a decent understanding of what took place. So here's the deal I have no hierarchy hierarchical boss guy that I have to appease and re- regurgitate any kind of doctrine. I don't. Um, I just, here's just me as, as a follower of Jesus, like I just, I, I just want to understand God from his word. That's the only angle I'm coming at today, okay? So I realize in, in a variety of opinions, like I, I just want you to know, like I'm going to do my very best to check every single position, stance, thought on this whole topic, exclusively from God's word, the best of our ability. That's our heart on this, all right? So we're gonna dive in and we are gonna have some fun. But before we get there, before we get there, today I'm gonna, I'm gonna mostly lay some groundwork as we, as we move into the book of Acts. Uh, and, and honestly, this is for uh, uh time we're studying scripture. I wanna, I wanna start out by giving you two things. Two keys to help us. 2 Timothy 2 talks about this. Paul's talking to Timothy, young up-and-coming preacher, right? He, he says this: that we need to rightly divide the word of truth. Okay. Here's a more modern translation. NIV says it this way. Correctly handling the word of truth. So I'm gonna give us two, there's way more than this, but this would be a good starting point for what we're doing. Two keys to correctly handling the word of truth. Isn't that pretty important when it comes to issues that people have differing opinions on? Like, let's stick to the word. So, here's a couple things that we just need to, to a couple keys, and I'm going to move through these quickly. One is that we need to identify the context, okay? Real quick, real quick here. Not the whole, the whole scripture is not one giant genre, the Bible. It's written in a variety of genres, right? The New Testament is written in, you could divide them in three general big chunks. Narrative, story. Epistles, which is a real fancy word to say letters written by apostles, They're letters. Okay, story, letters, and prophecy. You can't read every single one the same. There, there's going to be different ways. Can you get truth out of all of them? Yes, but we have to dig for truth in slightly different ways. Okay, for instance, like, it, could you imagine if we took all the narrative in the Bible and just instantly turned it into doctrine? Like that, that could get weird, okay? And that's how things do get weird, okay? However, we can't say, well, because it was just a story, then there's nothing for me in that, right? So, we got to walk that, that fine line, right? Like, story, shouldn't be, story should be handled differently than, like, direct teaching on a subject matter. If Paul or Jesus or Peter, uh, James, are writing on a specific subject matter, man, that's, like, we got to take that. But if, if it's a narrative, we got to handle it differently. For instance, for instance, right? Like, just some tips, uh, in case you were tempted to, to do this a little bit, like don't sling rocks at every giant you see, okay? Like that's, that's just not fair. It could be a good giant, right? Like, like he's not, I think giants get a, a bad rap in the Bible, don't they, right? Like every, every obstacle is considered a giant you have to overcome. What if there's good giants? Anyway, um, when you're on the water in a boat and a, and a storm rises up, don't ask the people with you to throw you overboard in hopes that the, sea die, the waves die down because, listen, branched oak doesn't have fish big enough to swallow you. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way, okay? Um, you see a blind guy? Don't spit in the dirt and rub mud on his face. Like, most people don't appreciate mud pie spit uh, rubbed in the face, right? There are, there's narrative, and we can't take all of it and turn it into, like, this is what I'm going to do in every situation. However, Anytime we ignore the scripture because of the genre that it is, and we don't find the places where they connect with us, we're also at danger of missing some richness of God's word. So when we come, we're looking, but we're looking differently. We're looking for themes. We're looking for patterns. And we're looking for obvious truths. Sometimes we we get caught up in the narrative. We get caught up in these, these details that are just kind of like... Uh, we need to look at, like, what is it that we know for certain in the midst of all of this, right? It, it, it's really where our ancient paths, we did this earlier in the spring, the ancient paths series. Like, we didn't go through a text because there wasn't direct teaching on all of these things, but rather we're looking at the scripture as a whole, and we're seeing these patterns and these themes in the lives of Jesus' followers that we can now apply to our lives and grow closer to Christ. We understand. Okay, so we got to identify the context, right? What, what, is, what is the context of what we're reading? Um, number two, we have to identify our biases. But I'm not biased. I'm not biased. You need to identify your biases, but I'm not biased, right? Here's the deal. We all come to every single text with... Life experiences, right? If you could read and had full understanding out of the womb and read the Bible, you would still have, weird, but some kind of life experiences that you, what you're reading is going to be filtered through, right? Like, like we all bring our life experiences, you know, little things like, um, sing, this is a classic one and it's an easy one. God is my father. That's hard for some people. Why? Is it because God's not a good father to them? No. It's because their picture of father, because of their life experiences, has tainted and made it difficult to grasp who God really is. It's not that the the truth is wrong, but my life experience is is an obstacle and a roadblock in the way of understanding truth. And there's all kinds of those things. Uh, Here's the other thing. We identify our biases. We, We all have life experiences, and we all come to the text with a certain level of indoctrination. Okay, I know that's a really ugly, bad word, but like it is what it is. And we don't, We usually don't even understand our indoctrinations as much. as Maybe you're like, man, I got saved yesterday. I'm, I haven't been indoctrinated. I haven't, this is the first time I've ever been in a church. Yeah, but we're indoctrinated into our American culture. We're indoctrinated into our family culture. We're indoctrinated in those of us who grew up in the church in our unique church culture or our uh, uh, whatever. So we the way that we think is oftentimes what we think is the right way to think or the default way to think. Go to a foreign country and try that. And you'll find out that we think what we thought was just normal thinking is actually very cultural thinking. So here's what I'm going to say. I'm not saying approach the text without those. That's impossible. We're human. We we have these life experiences. We have these ways that we've been brought up. Here's what I'm saying. We need to identify them so that we can, like when you see a roadblock out in front of you, it makes it a lot easier to get around it or jump over it than if you don't see it at all. Right? So we as as In order to rightly divide the word of truth, in order to, to correctly handle God's word, we have to come to the realization that, man, I am affected by my experiences leading up to this moment, and I am affected by the cultures and the teachings and the worldview that I have leading up to this moment. I'm not saying those are bad things. Don't misunderstand me. Our life experiences those indoctrinate again, maybe I, I need to find a better word because that has a lot of negative connotation, but like the, the, our ways of thinking is that better, our ways of thinking um they're not necessarily bad, just acknowledge it, okay, so on this on this one i, I I haven't done a scale analogy in a long time. Let me go to a, a scale analogy, right? All right, I love these, okay? So on this topic, I'm gonna ta- I'm talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we just read about right here. We're going to continue to read about it, so I wanted to bring a little clarity to it. So, so we all have, let, let, let's, just, let's just get it out of the table, okay? Let's just get it out here, okay? So we all have So on the, our own thoughts on this, and if you don't have any thoughts on this, fantastic. This will be a lot easier for you. Um. So here's one perspective, and this is uh, uh, the, the cessation, uh, cessationist uh, perspective. And basically what this says is that all of the workings of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, things like healing and prophecy and speaking in tongues, those types of things, those have come to a completion uh, at e- either or um, the when the apostles died uh, and or the completion of scripture. Okay. So they were given to the church for a season, but they weren't, uh, but they're not necessarily gifts that are meant for today. Okay. Now, if you want to go all the way over here, then you go to the next step that would say then that anyone who practices like trying to conjure up healing or, or for sure speaks in tongues, that is demonic because if it's not from God and it's the supernatural stuff going on, this is, this is demonic activity. Okay. So this is one very extreme on the side. And then you got this side. Then you got this side that says, hey, when we go to church, like we haven't had church until at least 80% of the people in the room are either weeping Speaking in tongues or falling out all over the floor. Okay. Like, now, if, if, if we can get there, if we can, like, slain in the spirit and they're falling over and people are, are dancing back there and people are speaking in tongues and, and, and other people, everybody else is crying. Like, if, if, if that is church and if we don't get there, then we just need to, we just, we know the right songs to play. All right. So, um, so, so that is, if we don't experience all of those things, then we haven't, then we haven't, into the Holy Spirit yet, okay? So we see these extremes. The majority of us are going to fall somewhere in between, right? Either that or you're just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Great. Um, most of us are going to fall somewhere in between these two extremes on this. And um, I'll tell you what, if you do go to denominational church, you don't get the privilege of wading into this messy stuff because you just put on your website what you believe. This is kind of fun. All right. Um, if you don't like it, you just don't go there. Um, I'm trying to stick to my notes so I can just stay on top of this thing, okay? Um, so here's the deal. You're somewhere on this. That's fine. That's great. There's some on this side of it. There's some of you on this side of it. Some of you don't know. You like would 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 say like I'm in I'm in this range, but I'm not exactly sure. Okay, um, all of that is fine. What I'm saying is this: is we need to identify our biases, and part of that bias is our, our preconceived notions of coming to the text. This is this is what I'm I'm asking. This is my prayer: God, show me something I've never seen. That's my prayer when I come to the Word. God, show me something I've never seen. And I'm not talking about signs and wonders. so that could be a part of it. That, maybe that's exactly what you need. You need to see a miracle in front of you. Your perspective is going to get changed because your experiences will have changed. God, show me something I've never seen. Okay? I want truth. This is what we're after. I want, I want to understand truth. Um, so when we come to the book of Acts, and particularly the text we just read today, um, the fulfillment of what Jesus said in Acts chapter one, you will be baptized with the Holy spirit and you will receive power and the Holy spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. Like when that took place, they waited and they found the gift that or Jesus gave the gift that he had promised. Um, we got to understand the context is storyline. It's so hard to find direct teaching on, on, on the actual baptism of the Holy spirit. You can find some teaching on, on the gifts of the Holy spirit. Um, some of it is, uh, yeah, you can find some of that. Um, but but how, what does this look like? What's that experience look like? And so what we're doing is we're looking for themes, we're looking for patterns, we're looking for the obvious truth. Uh, sometimes we get, we get caught up and stuck in the minutia. Um, and then the other thing, right, our understanding our biases, where am I on the scale? And we just ask, are you willing to explore truth? beyond your previous understanding. I want to understand better. I want to understand more. I want to understand deeper. I, I want everything that God has for me and nothing more. This is what I want. So God, let me understand. God, let us understand your Holy Spirit with greater clarity. Um, so if some of you are wondering right now where I'm going with this, let me, and especially regardless of where you are on the scale, let me just let me maybe put you at ease just a little bit. Uh, a couple things I'm not going to do. I'm not going to call fire down from heaven. Okay, so don't don't worry about that one. I'm not going to teach you how to speak in tongues. We're not we're not doing that either. Okay, we are on a pursuit of understanding God's word, and I want to do that together. Right? Okay. Now let's weigh it into the one big question. This has a lot of questions around it. Um. And, and my, I'm not going to try to address them all. As we work through the book of Acts, there will be uh, natural questions that will we'll get addressed as we look at, to the scripture. But I want to I answer the one big question when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, whatever we see it referenced to in, in, in scripture different ways. Um, so here's the one big question. Some people say that when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you, in that moment, receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, or you've received the Holy Spirit. Other people say that there's no need for a second filling because the Bible teaches that every Christian has the Holy Spirit inside of them. Who's right? That's, isn't that the biggie, right? Like, how do we handle this? Who's right? Some people say that you need this second encounter experience. Other people say it's not necessary because how could God give you more of what he's already given you? Was the Holy Spirit not God doesn't give partial gifts, does he? Does God just give like a piece of a gift? Like here's the Holy Spirit, but it's got a governor on it, okay? Um, It seems odd, doesn't it? So let's look at scripture, right? That's where I promised we're going to go, and that's where we're going to go. Here, first answer, yes, the Holy Spirit is in all of us who put our faith in Jesus, period. He's in all of us who put our faith in Jesus, uh, there is so many references that I'm not going to give them all. Paul re- references it a lot, but some of the clear stuff is when he talks to the church in Corinth. So he writes a couple letters to the church in Corinth. First Corinthians 3.16, he says this, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now, honestly, to the, to, the, to the believers who are reading this, this would have been a redundant statement because you guys know, right, that the, the temple of God in the Old Testament was the place where the Holy of Holies was, right? So there's the temple, the courtyard, then the holy place where the priest could go, then the Holy of Holies, where God's, I don't know how else to say it, God's presence, like, God's presence concentrate. I don't know how, I don't know, like, it's, right? Like, God's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time, all the time, right? He's here. He's around the world. He's present with Every one of us. And yet, at that time in the Old Testament, God's presence was like more than normal there in the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could go and only once a year. It was a very holy, sacred space. The presence of God dwelt in its fullness in the Holy of Holies, in the temple. So when, when, when Paul says, don't you know that you are a temple of God, meaning the Holy Spirit, for those of us who believe, dwells inside of us. And, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Again, it's redundant. He repeats the exact same statement, or very close to it, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, a few chapters later. Then he says it again in another letter to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 6, 16, that you're a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you. This is hard to say that God's Spirit doesn't live in us at salvation. He clearly does. He's not talking about anything special. He's talking about God's Spirit. So, did God give us an incomplete gift? How do you get more of the Holy Spirit? This seems like a good argument, right? From reason, but let's use some similar argument from that same reason. Uh, If that's the case, then what was the Ark of the Covenant? If God's presence is everywhere all the time and the argument is that if God is alive and living within me, would he give me part of himself? Would he hold something back? Would he not give the full Holy Spirit or just like a a, 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 a watered down dose so that I could get a full one later? That doesn't make any sense. Well, then explain to me the Ark of the Covenant. What was that? What was the pillar of fire? It was the presence of God. But his presence is everywhere. (laughs) But it was like this concentration of his presence. Like he allowed himself to be experienced in, in, in a greater capacity in fire and in smoke in, in the wilderness and in, in, in his presence in the Ark of the Covenant or the transfiguration. What was that? Was Jesus more God-ish in that moment or his glory? What about Moses when he saw the full glory of God and his face shone? Does your, does your face shine at work after you spend a moment praying for your meal? Right, like I don't understand it, Okay. And yet sometimes God allows us to experience a magnitude, I don't know, words don't really work, but a magnitude of his presence that is not necessarily always palpable in every moment. It's not just my own experience, though I've experienced that in a variety of ways. We see this consistently throughout scripture, that God allows himself to be experienced by individuals at certain times in certain ways. To say that, well, well, I got part of the Holy Spirit, but not all of it. Like, it, it, it it's kind of reductionist, right? It, it's, it's a little oversimplified. But that's just human arguments. How about we go to Scripture? I promised you we'd go there. Let's go there. Acts chapter 8, okay? Acts chapter 8. This is what happens. Remember Samaria, the place that nobody really likes? They, they, they don't like any of the Samaritans. The, the disciples always avoiding them, and, and they're just ugly and nasty to each other, the Jews and the Samaritans. <clears throat> well, all of a sudden, the Samaritans get a little bit of Jesus, and, and some interesting things happen. Acts chapter 8, verses 14-19. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed, and, and you catch this, okay. When they had accepted the word of God, that would be a, a reference to, to salvation, they prayed for the new believers, those who... Have been saved. Then Paul says that if we're saved, we have the Spirit of God living in us. But then it says they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. What? I thought the Holy Spirit was already in us. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them? Wait a second. How how do you believe? How are you saved and don't have don't you have the Holy Spirit already? So what what is he referring to? Maybe I missed something. He goes on. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Also, wouldn't that be kind of salvation? Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Interesting, right? You have people who've accepted Christ, who who are saved, who have the, the, the Holy Spirit dwelling in them because the Holy Spirit dwells in anyone who's accepted Christ. And yet Peter and John... Uh, show up and they're like, no, no, you need to receive this this gift, this thing that that Jesus promised. And here's the other thing, verse 18, the next verse, when Simon, who's a sorcerer who just got saved, when Simon saw the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, notice that he saw it happen. He offered the money and he said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is interesting. This is one of the few cases in the, the people getting filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit where it doesn't say they spoke in tongues and or they prophesied. It, it's one of the few times you don't see the miraculous signs. However, if a former sorcerer watches this, you laid your hands on them, they got something. So much so, I will pay you big bucks to teach me how to do what you just did. Something took place. Okay, this is where we go. This is narrative. This is a storyline. I'm not going to read too far into this. If, if the Holy Spirit wanted us to know exactly what happened, he would have told us. But he didn't. More of that in another minute. So let's come back to our, our, our narrative and, and even just like Acts 2, right? Or Acts 1 even. So... Uh, let me. Make, in case you think that's an isolated incident, John chapter 20 is the story of the resurrection of Christ. Jesus raised from the dead, and then his disciples, like this rumor spreads that the disciples stole the body. Now he was just executed, and then there's the rumors around the disciples was stole the body. The disciples are freaking out, so they're all hiding together. They lock a door, they're hiding together. And then the risen Christ, this is the first time Jesus appears to them in a group. The risen Christ, boom, shows up in the middle of the room, out of nowhere crazy. They're freaking out. Jesus like, don't be afraid. And this is what he tells them. John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you that. If Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, do you think they received the Holy Spirit? I, I would say, yeah, of course they did. This is at his resurrection. He received the Holy Spirit. Now, what it, could he have been saying receive the Holy Spirit in like a future context? Like, well, then why did he breathe on him? That would be weird, right? Like, this is a symbolic sign saying like, this is the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Like, what is that about? Have you ever noticed this? What is our salvation based upon? What is the whole new covenant in Christ based upon? The death and resurrection of Jesus. They were followers of Jesus before they were New Testament saved, right? They, they, were, they were still believing and hoping in, in, in a Savior who would complete the work. And then Jesus said, it is finished. And then they put an exclamation point on it when he rose from the dead. This is their first encounter with the risen Christ. This is the first time, we'll put it this way. They put their faith and trust in a risen Savior. This is when I would say, not that it really matters like so much. This is where I would say the disciples got saved, if you can say it that way. And what happens? <laughs> they receive the Holy Spirit. 7 weeks later. Right? This is right before Jesus is about to whoop, fly up into heaven. The day of his ascension. What does he say? You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, when he, Let me just read it for you. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When you... Uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is interesting. They already have the Holy Spirit, don't they? Well then, what's this? You know, what's interesting in the number of times that, that the filling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is referenced as a gift. Okay. Remember what I said earlier? When, we t- when it goes to narrative, the goal, like sometimes we, get, we wade into, and it's fun. It's fun to wade into the, let's try to figure some details out. But we always got to come back to like, what does the word of God say? What's the clear truth here? The clear truth is this. That we all, as believers, that once you put your hope and faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of you. And Jesus said, but you will be baptized. What does that mean? Somehow, it's kind of like John's baptism. Somehow, it's kind of different. It says, but you'll be baptized. For what purpose? For what purpose? Because you will have power to be a witness. Um. I'll be honest, this leaves a lot more questions than it probably gives answers for some. And great. Questions, I believe, are a huge catalyst to learning and growing in your faith. So ask them. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Ask other people. Ask the Word. Ask God. Ask those questions. But we're going to major on the majors here today. Here's two things that happen in the book of Acts. There's an experience and there's an empowerment. This is where it gets down to it. There's an experience and there's an empowerment. Here's, here's the thing. It's easy to see and observe the experience, wasn't it? Even the bypassers, by right? People in the street, they saw and they observed the experience. They saw people speaking in tongues. Maybe they saw the, the, the fire. Maybe they saw, heard the wind. I don't know. But they definitely heard them speaking in their own language. Side note, this is the only time that that language is actually understood by foreigners. So for those who say like tongues is always understood as another human language for the sake of fulfilling the gospel this is again story narrative this is the only time this ever actually we see that it happens maybe it happened again but this is the only time we see it it was easy to see it was easy to observe and it draws our attention it drew theirs there right it drew their attention there but here's the deal all of the fire and wind and 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 tongues and languages was not the purpose it was just kind of like a perk God's like, I'm going to meet with my people. I'm going to give them this gift, not just the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, but I'm going to give them this gift of supernatural empowerment to accomplish a mission to be a witness in the world. I'm going to give them this gift, and it's going to come with some sweet, crazy, mind-blowing bells and whistles. And he does that. Does it ever look like this again? Maybe, somewhere. But not to our knowledge. But in this time, it was wild. And so all of our attention gets drawn to the event. All of our attention gets drawn to the, the wow factor, the, the, the perks. And sometimes when we, when, we, when we allow our minds and our attention to get all drawn to the expression, to the experience, we forget about the purpose of what Jesus said it was all about. It wasn't about the experience. The experience is fantastic. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's great. It's messy. It's fun. But it was all about empowerment. Acts 1-8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I want you to think about it. What does it say? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will perform miracles? No, I didn't say that. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will speak in tongues. No, I didn't say that either. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will fall over when the preacher prays for you. You will have supernatural emotional altar calls. You will. No. May some of that happen. Yeah. It's God. He can do whatever he wants. But this is what he said. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witness. Jesus didn't send his Holy Spirit so we can have cool church experiences. He sent his Holy Spirit because we don't have the power in and of ourselves to accomplish the task that he set before us. This is a common mistake regardless of where you are on the scale. This common mistake that that anyone on the scale tends to miss is that we emphasize the experience but here's the reality again i just want to be honest with it there is so little writing on like what the actual baptism of the holy spirit is supposed to look like there is for sure things that we can learn Like Simon the sorcerer, he saw it happen and he wanted the power. Something happened over the first time it happens. Super, supernatural. Uh, So many times that it takes place. It's back to the Holy Spirit. Like supernatural things take place. The most common of which, actually not necessarily tongues, but directly said prophecy, speaking and declaring the goodness uh, of of God. Like, Like these things are natural things that take place. But listen, when we emphasize the experience that we have, little teaching for we tend to minimize the empowerment which is the clear purpose we get more caught up in the perks for our own enjoyment than we do in the actual purpose of why god gave us the gift in the first place the purpose is super clear so on one side, we tend to over, uh, overemphasize the experience to, and, and, and make it all about this fun experience. On this other side, they tend to overemphasize the experience and be like, that's weird. I don't want anything to do with it. Let me give you... I'm waiting into... I've never heard this illustration used, but I'm going for it. <laughs> I'm already talking about things that make people feel uncomfortable. Let's keep going with that uh, theme. I want to give a picture in marriage. Um, (laughs) I want to use God's gift of physical intimacy between a husband and a wife to illustrate this topic, right? We're already into the the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's go ahead and talk about that too. Um, Here's the deal. God has given physical intimacy between a husband and a wife. God has given this to them as a gift. What's the purpose of the gift? The purpose of the gift is Oneness. Now, it has other purposes, but the primary purpose, right? God to Adam, it's not good for you to be alone, so he brought a woman together so that they could be one flesh. Um, God says, like, to Eve, you will leave your father and mother. You will leave, and you will come, and you will be united together as one. And then God gave this couple... Um, sorry, front row. This makes you real uncomfortable. Um, God gave this couple this, this gift... That is supposed to bring about a greater oneness. Now I realize because the brokenness of the world and brokenness of physical uh, are just our bodies and the world that we live in, not everything is always smooth and perfect in this realm. But this was God's intent. What happens the moment you make the gift the primary focus? Like even outside of marriage, we know like, okay, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that, that, that falls apart real quick. But what happens when we make the gift, the primary focus, even when the, in, when the context is right, even when the context of marriage, when, when you pursue, sorry guys, the experience for your own gratification, you know what happens? Confusion, frustration, heartache, miscommunication, unmet expectations. Married couple, you've been married for more than five years Tell me I'm wrong. But you know what also happens? When you avoid the gift that God has given for the sake of bringing oneness in a marriage, when you avoid it and neglect it willingly, you know what happens? is that it brings frustration and confusion and, and miscommunication and unmet expectation. And you do not allow yourself to have the purpose, the oneness that Christ intended to the level he intended it. He gave a gift, we need to use it in the appropriate context and with the appropriate purpose. You guys tracking with me? Some of you like, you just needed that part. Like you're like, all right, let's, let's work on this. Uh, um, That that, that illustration came to my mind this week, and I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna use that. But it's too good not to. Because, friends, haven't you seen that? Have you been around this teaching and this world on either side of this? Have you not seen the very thing? Those who make much of the experience tend to be frustrated and 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 confused and heartache and and bitter and, and misunderstandings and miscommunication? And those on this side who've thrown the baby out with the bathwater because of all of the abuse that's happening on that side have have missed out on the oneness and end up confused and isolated and and frustrated and, and misunderstanding. Why? Because, come back to marriage. If you experience the gift with the right purpose, oneness, where it's not about me, it's about the other person. It's not about me, it's about us two becoming one. It's not about me, and it's not even about just the, that physical action, but, but the way that God intertwines hearts in the midst of us. Again, another argument for waiting for marriage. Um, that was also for the front row to make you uncomfortable. Um, but when it's enjoyed in the context that God intended it, it's beautiful, and it serves an amazing purpose that enhances the purpose of marriage, oneness. But we can't make it about the gift and the experience for our own pleasure. We can't just make it about—and so when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, here, here, here I just—I grew up in a world that, that emphasized and taught this, but like, I— to my, I forget a lot of things, so I don't want to like, throw shade on anybody that raised me, but I don't remember this ever being an emphasis on pursuing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Was that you, the whole reason is so that you can be a witness to people? I don't ever remember hearing that. It's what Jesus said. You, you might get this amazing experience. I know water baptism for, for some people is like mind blowing, emotional, spiritual high. For other people, I'm like, it's obedience. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, like, like, be open to whatever God wants to do. Guys, speaking in tongues, you can't find a place where it just stops. Healing, you can't find a place where it stops. Prophecy, you can't find a place in the Word where it stops. Like, God has given his church gifts for the edification of his body, and he's given us the baptism of the Holy Spirit for what? Power. To what? Be a witness. Here's what I've never heard said before. I'm going to say it right now because I just believe it. If you have no interest in being a witness where God has placed you, you have no business pursuing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Like, it's counterintuitive. Like, why? It makes no sense. Jesus says, I'm going to give you power. Not for fantastical experiences. I'm going to give you power to be a witness. If you have no interest in being a witness, you have no need for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's overstated, but I think it's probably been understated for too long. God wants to unleash the power of God in your life through you because you have unsaved neighbors. Because not everyone at your workplace loves Jesus yet because you have extended family members who've not yet turned their lives and their hearts over to him. Friends, there is access to power beyond what we can muster up. Does it make witnessing easy instantly? No, but does God somehow move in power and use us to see lives changed? Yes, it's his promise. One of, my cool, one of my favorite testimonies was somebody who was baptized in the Holy Spirit and it wasn't a super highly emotional, super experiential deal, but he said this. He said, I've all, I had always talked to these certain people about Jesus and then there was closed door after closed door, uninterested, uh, disinterested after disinterested after disinterested. So I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and I said the same things to the same people and they all just started getting saved. That. And we're like, Whoa. And Jesus is like, duh. God, there's a world that needs Jesus so bad and I can't do it on my own. I'm not on my own strength, not on my own power. I need a filling of the Holy Spirit every day. If I want to walk in the power that is available to me, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Friends, that authority and that power is, comes to us through this gift that he's given in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, we're going to continue. There's, again, so many questions. Of course there are. But our focus is not on the questions. Our focus is not on the things that Scripture doesn't say. Let's focus on the things that it does, and it's pretty clear about the things that it does. There's a world that needs Jesus. He's made us the ambassadors of his gospel, witnesses to what God has done in our life, and he's enabled us to access the power to help reconcile the loss back to him. We'd be fooled not to take it. So ask him. Ask him. Father God, we praise you and we thank you for the glorious, mysterious, weird, uh, just be honest, God, ways that you work in our lives. You're always working. And we don't always understand it. Father, I pray that you would, you would allow us to move beyond some of the roadblocks that have, have stood in the way of our understanding you and who you are. God, that we would be able to pursue truth. That we would pursue truth. Come, we want to see our community loving you Lives transformed. Fresh starts walking in freedom. So Father, we just, we we invite your Holy Spirit to do whatever your Holy Spirit wants to do. God, fill us. Maybe some of us even talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit and we point back to some experience that happened a long time ago in a land far away. God, I believe you just want to fill us up again. Father, move in us. God, we just receive arms wide open. We receive what you have for us because there's a mission out there that you've called us to that we can't do on our own. So, Father, empower your church to be your church, to be your witnesses. God, we love you. We pursue you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.